All right, let's uh, open your Bibles, please, once again to the book of Acts chapter 2. And let's walk through this just a little bit tonight, celebrating what we're, well, talking about what we're celebrating. Once again, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I don't want to uh, rehearse that which is perhaps too common for everyone, but let's just make sure we lean into it slowly at first and then pick up the pace as we move on, all right? So Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost had come. What was the day of Pentecost? It was one of the, one of the great Jewish feasts that people were required to come with. If they were in certain proximity in Jerusalem, they were to come. Among the things they were celebrating, there were other things that had to do with their history and their travels in the wilderness that they were, that, that feast celebrated. But among the things that that, one of the things that that feast, that celebration came to symbolize was a remembrance of the giving of the law. Remember that at Sinai? Happened about 50 days after Passover. Huh. So here's what happened. Here's what happened. 50 days after Sinai, the people were all gathered together. And they were around a place that had an upper place. And there was various pneumatological phenomenon. There was very, you know, come on, any somebody know their Bible. There was various pneumatological phenomenon. There was, there was, there was clouds and there was fire and there was noise. And it was awesome. And people trembled and the people below didn't quite know what was going on. Above, Moses encounters Yahweh and he is given the law. The law was a gift to a saved people. The law, yeah, the law, they were already saved. The law did not save them. If you hear preachers, preachers say, oh, people, in the Old Testament, they had to believe the, the law to get saved. They were already saved. They were all, the blood already got them out of Egypt. The blood got them out. They were under the blood already. They were under the blood, and he was already their healer. Don't talk about that yet, but he was already their healer. So they get there, and then they finally, they get to Sinai, and they're given the law as a gift. And this would become the governing influence upon a saved people. And, if, and it was to guide their lives day by day, moment by moment. And if they followed it, if they abided in this law, if they did what it said, if they lived according to the law, it would bring about great blessing. It would make them different from everybody around them. And bring them great blessing. Fifty days after Passover, saved people get a gift following pneumological phenomenon that will become, and this gift will become the governing influence in their life. That was Pentecost. That's what they were celebrating. So fifty days after Jesus, after his resurrection, the church gathers together in the upper place, and there is various pneumatological phenomenon. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They knew that. Luke knows it. His audience knows it. And uh, the, those in the room know that, this, all, that these symbols are intentionally hearkening back to Sinai itself. And you could argue to the various images of the, the temple and the tabernacle of the temple being filled. But it's, it leans, frankly, at, at, first it le- <laughs> at first it leans a little closer to Sinai. 
And then it bleeds over into tabernacle motif. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rest on each of them. In verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Can we say that together? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that is such a familiar phrase that it is too easy to say and then just move on. But, but first of all, what happened happened to everybody. Andrew, Philip, and Thomas. Oh, you have not. How many of you heard of Bartholomew? Oh, stop it. What I mean is, you know, you know Peter, and you know James. He got dead. You know John, Judas, the son of James. We don't even know who that is. Simon the Zealot. We don't even, people. What I'm saying is this. After, after this, some of these guys, we don't hear their names in Scripture again. That doesn't mean they disappear from God's economy or God's purposes, but their, their names aren't recorded in Scripture. But the same Holy Ghost land on James and Thaddeus and Simon as on Peter and James and John. Everybody in that, you know who else? Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They finally got in on it. Right? They finally got in on it. Right? Jude and James, they show up. What's going on here? Whack! Can you, listen, you remember that parable? You remember that parable Jesus said? That the fellers that showed up at the front got paid the same as the fellers that showed up at the end? I know there's a lot of application here, but look at here, right here. It starts right here in Acts, in, in second chapter of Acts. Peter's with him the whole time, so to speak. Peter's with him, James with him, John's with him the whole time. These guys with him the whole time. His brothers, they're not with him. They're, who, they don't trust him. They think he's nuts. They want to do all the things, but they get the same Holy Ghost Peter got. Same one. Everybody say all. It's really important that we understand that Pentecostal spirituality is something that is the same, that the God has the same of himself, which is all of himself, for all of us. There isn't anybody in the room that is elevated, escalated, singled out as receiving more and some receiving less. Nobody gets to get like the, 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 the big portion at the front and then scraps at the end. No handfuls on purpose. None of that stuff. This is everybody. The, the, the measure of, of the spirit is intended or measured the same for all of us, and that is filled the measure is the same and it is filled everybody say filled that's the measure and what are we filled with now you just need to i'm asking you to just lean into this afresh i know that you well holy the holy spirit yeah but so there I, I may, maybe you should modify your metaphor a bit that's because you know that doesn't mean you're filled with a sentiment or a feeling or a, or a sizzle or whatever people talk about understand that presence go back in your mind's eye to sinai that presence that was causing that entire mountain to quake that lit, that creation itself was quaking under that presence it is that same presence that shook sinai has condescended to move into you do you believe that well, I don't know, because I mean, honestly, because if we believed it deeply, it might have a serious impact on our attitudes, on our behaviors, on our confidence, on our comfort, on our praise, on our joy, on all those things. 
That same holy presence that shakes Sinai. That same holy presence that fills the tabernacle of Moses so they're not able to enter it again. That same holy, that holy glory that filled the temple of Solomon so that they couldn't even do the work. That's that tangible manifest presence. That same presence that, 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 that manifested as a cloud during the day and a fire by night in the Israelites' journey. That same holy presence, the spirit of God. The very spirit that hovered over the face of the deep at creation. The very spirit that came upon the Virgin Mary and created life where there wasn't. The very same spirit that descended as a dove upon the Son of God. The very same spirit. The holy, they were all filled, not blessed, not touched, not splashed, not sprinkled. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, with God himself the Holy Spirit. The one that Jesus said, say what you want to about me, but if you speak about the Spirit, you're in trouble. This is God's most special presence, His most intimate self, His most holy self. He's powerful, He's joyful, He's wonderful, all of those things, but this is God's very holiness, and He's chosen to move into us fully. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That phrase alone should cause us to quake and to tremble with reverence and with joy unspeakable at the same time. Do you believe that? If you say no, don't say it out loud, you know. I don't want that. But do you believe that? Ask yourself, do I believe that? Do I believe? I am filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I am the, Paul, that's why Paul, when he is begging the Corinthians to modify their behavior, to change their way of life, their conduct, after making thorough doctrinal arguments and metaphors, finally, in, in, in his greatest plea, he, the, the thing that he just can't bear, how could they possibly be acting like this, thinking like this, talking like this, he says, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That should make all of the difference. There should, Paul, it's almost like I, Paul saying, I shouldn't have to be saying any of this if you knew you were the temple of the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began. That's a, that's a progressive aorist in the text. They began. How many of you, when you were born, you began breathing? Did anybody stop? Hope not. Okay, and they began, which means that there's something that they began to do, began to be a regular part of their expression. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. This was a brand new thing. This was a thing that had not happened before, but it happened repeatedly after. Now, when it comes to... uh, hermeneutic and interpretation of the book of Acts when we want to say, Lord, what are we being informed of and what are we invited to expect for us? That which is isolated into one specific example only, it's not that we are excluded from that, but we have perhaps less of a right to place total, you know, real expectation on it. In other words, on the day of Pentecost, there was the sound of a rushing wind and the appearance of fire. It's not that we are excluded. I don't think anybody would be excluded from asking for that or hoping for that. Lord, send, Lord, go ahead and share pneumatological phenomenon with us. 
How many know that in the history of the church, these kinds of phenomena have repeated themselves? Right? We know that. We have eyewitness accounts of Azusa. Fire coming up, fire coming down, fire, fire people call. I think I told some of you, my buddy in Indiana, he finally started just paying the fire guys 50 bucks every time they came out to the church. Because they'd come out again, and they're like, listen, man, someone's doing it. He's like, nobody's here. It was just the intercessors. Here's 50 bucks for your trouble. These things, these things can and do happen, but they don't. Here's the thing: they don't have to happen. They are not necessary evidences. They are not. They are not expressions that we should have as a normative expectation. But that which does repeat itself invites us to say, "Okay, I see something that does repeat itself. There is this ongoing repetition, and we see throughout the Book of Acts, particularly in two, eight, uh, two arguably eight, uh, ten, and nineteen we see that this, this thing repeated to where there, where, wherever there was a specifically Luke stops to mention that he, we have to understand every time the Spirit comes and it's a new people group so, the, so that the reader understands it's the same Holy Ghost. Somebody say it. So every time they understand that it's the same Holy Ghost, every time there's a new people group that, that, that has this encounter, they too have this similar expre- expression. They too, they are all filled with the Spirit. Everybody, in the book of Acts, whenever people experience the Spirit, everybody... In, in the room shares the experience. It's not like in the Old Testament where there's, a, where there's 2 million Israelites and 72 of them get a, get a prophetic anointing. It's not like that. That's why it's probably not very appropriate. It's not wrong, but it's not very appropriate in any size room to say, to single out a handful of people that would like to receive. The, the best thing to do is to identify anybody who just wants more or it feels like they, there's, there's anything that, they're, that God wants more for them and you know, maybe stand in front. But other than that, we should all be receiving together because this is a, this, that it communicates the, that the Holy Spirit is given for all of us, right? And that everybody receive, when we receive, we receive better together. But again, in the book of Acts, the thing that is repeated. So these, these particular phenomena aren't repeated in the scripture. They are, we do see testimony of them. I think we have permission to ask for them, but I don't think we're required to expect them. Do you, do you, do you feel the difference? Just hermeneutically. But what we do see repeated is that every time people are filled, there is some sort of utterance. There is some sort of prophetic expression. Okay? You with me? Now, let's keep going. And how did it happen is they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. That means, here it is, they, someone say, they spoke. they spoke. Say it again, they spoke. they spoke. They spoke, and the Spirit gave them utterance. This is a partnership with the Spirit. Right away, the language is a partnership with the Holy Spirit. You say, hey, Dad, what's the deal with tongues? Does, does God grab me, and am I, am I possessed like some ecstatic you know, monk, and my eyes roll back in my head, and I began to speak in an alien language? No. No, because your will is involved. In fact, this is one of the ways that God sanctifies our wills, that our wills come under, the, 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 come under subject to God. James says, who can tame the tongue? Nobody, except the Holy Ghost. When I submit my, I, I choose, I submit to partner, I choose, Lord, I want, I am, I'm going to pray in the Spirit. I'm going to speak in the, in the language of the Spirit. I'm choosing, it's my will, I'm submitting to the, the flow of the Spirit, and I'm yielding the, the most unruly member of my body to Him. Now, that's not the only reason, but it's one of the truths. 
I believe a central reason for this is this is spirit speech, and we'll see that it is in just a minute. This is speech by the Spirit, that the Spirit comes upon them, and all that's cool, and they're having an experience, but once they began, once they began to speak by the Spirit, everything changed. Stay close to the Bible. Don't get nervous. You know me. We're going to stick right to it. At once they began to speak by the Spirit, everything changed. It changed everybody around them. What happened? The, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when they, when they heard this, this sound, what sound? I don't believe they heard wind or fire. What they heard was people speaking. Perhaps 100 of them, 120 of them, perhaps a lot more by this time. Hey, let's, I, you know what? We had a pretty good 10 days, and the crowd sometimes kept growing. So maybe we should believe that instead of only 120 at the business meeting that showed up, maybe the crowd grew and grew over 10 days. Maybe they did. Maybe they had a lot more. Maybe all up to Paul said, up to 500 of them up there. Maybe there was a whole bunch of them up there. And what were they doing? Let's try this again. What were they doing? They were all... They were all filled and they were all speaking. They were all speaking in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And these, this crowd comes together and they were bewildered because, verse 6, each of them heard, pardon me, each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Let's let the grammar speak for itself. Each was hearing all of them speak in his own language. Each heard all in his you feel me? You feel the, 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 the listen to the grammar. Each heard in in their own heart language. That's impossible. Some folks say, "Oh no, well, they they were all speaking these various languages on the earth that are listed there." And the people down below were like, "Oh, I I hear Slombovian, and I hear a little Latvian, and I hear a little French. I don't know, you know whatever." I, I hear a little Egyptian. I hear a little Aramaic. I hear a little. I hear a little bit of that. Do you hear that? Yeah, I hear yours. That that's a, that's a very common interpretation. First of all, the grammar doesn't allow for it, but neither does logic. One more time, let's do this trick. You ready for this fun trick? You ready for it? I want everybody in the room to think of uh, your favorite song. I think of either the title of your favorite song or a phrase in your favorite song. It doesn't even have to be. People get nervous. Any song. Okay, a title of any song or a phrase, any song. You got it? And don't get nervous. It's like those things. Oh, no, I don't have one. Okay, you got it? A phrase or a title in, in, one of your, in a song that you like. Are you ready? Now, I'm going to ask you to share that. And hopefully, it's only a two, three, or four words. Okay, I'm going to ask you to share it in a manner that others might consider robust. That if people were walking by, they might go, oh, what's going on in there? You hear me? Okay. I'm going to ask you to share that phrase. I'm going to count to three, and I want everybody to do it. Now, nobody, everybody only speak in English. No, I don't want Russian or French or anything crazy or Spanish. Everybody English, okay? Most people here understand English, okay? All right. English is most of our first language, heart language, at least close to it. All right. You ready? I'm going to count to three. I want you to say the thing. You ready? One, two, three. Stop. Well, I'm going to try to get I'm going to, When I close my hands, you stop. Ready? One, two, three. How many... Fully understood, everybody. How many you walk by and you think, oh, I hear them saying a thing. I hear them speaking. You didn't understand nothing. You might have, don't be, now, there's always one who goes, oh, I heard her say Sweet Home Alabama. What? I think I actually heard the word Jesus in the room, but that's a pretty sure guess that somebody had a song with the name Jesus in it, right? The point is, it's not possible either from the grammar or from the logic that there were actual, that people were speaking actual 
act that everybody, there was unique actual languages going on. What The only thing that we can understand that was happening, the only thing allowed to us is that they were confused because all of these people are shouting in what appears to be drunkenness in a minute, and yet all of these people are shouting, and yet you hear them in your heart language, and I hear them in mine, and you hear them in yours. That's impossible. They knew this was a phenomenon. This was a miracle. Every person was able to hear what was going on. I don't believe for a moment that that these had to be languages. There couldn't have all been speaking different ones, but they were. But whoever was walking by heard that commotion in their own heart. There's something that tells us. You say we'll get to that in a minute, but that tells us something about what was happening. That there was that this the outpouring of the Spirit not only brought everybody together in the room, but it was an invitation to the whole earth to come home. It's an invitation for the whole earth. Pentecost is an invitation for everybody on earth to come home. Verse 7, and, and, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, why, how are these, aren't these all from, they're one region, they're all Galileans, and yet what in the beans? They didn't, that's not what it means. <laughs> then in verse 9 lists all these people, where they're from. Luke wants us to know, Luke chapter, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. How is it that we hear them? And what do they hear? They all hear them, this is important, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Right away, what we hear right away, this should help us and understand and embrace Pentecost. Is they're, 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 all these people are speaking in tongues, but what are they talking about? Who are they? They're, they're not even talking to each other. They're all celebrating. They're declaring the wonders of God. Some interpret that to be like they were preaching. Mm, I, don't think they, I don't think they weren't, or you could exclude preaching, but it was much more Godward praise, psalmic declarations of the, the greatness of God, the wonders of God. It is the Holy Spirit coming upon people, and as they began to, they, it was the first thing I believe that we see is this prophetic expression of praise and worship, declaring the wonders of God, and yet declaring his wonders in such a way as to announce them as to announce them, declare like Jesus is Lord. The kingdom is here, right? Uh, so it was, they began, as soon as they began to do this, that's what I say, why was the speech so important? Well, it was mystical, it was powerful, it was a, a message, but as soon as they began to speak, would you say that with me? As soon as they began to speak, as soon as they began to speak, everything began to change. People began to gather. People began to respond. And then in verse 12, it says, and they all continued in amazement and perplexity. And that should tell us that from the beginning, an unrestrained Pentecost is perplexing and amazing. There should not be an Oxford-like Rooseveltian, uh, Rockefeller, hmm, very nice, approach to the outpouring of the Spirit. There, it should preclude a, 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 a broad, not that everybody has to be the same, but it should preclude, we shouldn't all be able to go, yes, very nice, the Holy Spirit. Perfect sense, amen. It should be shocking. It should be awe-inspiring. And there will be phenomena 
that, are, that, don't, that doesn't easily fit into each of our files. That doesn't mean that it should be wrong or whatever else, but especially on the outside. So many times people say we... So many times people, even today, they argue and they, and I, and they argue with maybe the best intentions, but they argue with a lot of what appears to be you know, logic and reason and whatever else, and they will say time and again... We must uh, keep uh, the more, ex- the more uh, 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 they'll say, excessive demonstrations of the Holy Spirit uh, outside of our main worship gatherings. Because, after all, that's when pr- most of the unchurched will come. And so we want to keep some of the more, the more dramatic expressions outside of that. Well, there's no Bible for that. There's no Bible for that. And what we'll see here in just a minute is that unrestrained, well-explained Pentecost has powerful results. They were amazed and they were perplexed and they said, what does this mean? Would you all say that with me? What does this mean? Well, what it means is Peter then takes a stand in verse 11 and raises his voice and declares to them, men of Judah and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. First of all, from verse 12 and then verse 14, Pentecost means something. Would you say that out loud, please? Pentecost means something. This is not a unique, uh, 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 self-contained, irrelevant uh, phenomenon. It's not like some freak lightning storm that we just stand and go, ooh, that was kind of cool, and move on. This Pentecost means something. Say it again. Pentecost means something. Luke wants us to hear that. That's why Luke writes this down. He says, they ask, what does it mean? And Peter stands up and answers. And he tells them, he begins to explain that Pentecost means something. But right away, I want you to see that Pentecost means that Pentecost makes, is, makes as we said the other night, Pentecost makes people has-beens. It makes us has-beens. A few, not too long before this, now, but it was before the resurrection and before a lot of cool things. But not too long before this, when Peter was challenged regarding his faith in Christ, he denied him three times. He denied him to a little schoolgirl. He said, no, I don't know him, to the point where he began to call down curses and say, I don't even know this guy. But, but as he, when Peter is brought into vital contact with the Spirit, he is the first one to stand up in front of the very people who had crucified his, his Lord not long before and give an answer. An answer to something that was inexplainable, unusual, that would be easily dismissible. He stood up and answered this thing, which some people thought was amazing, and a lot of other people thought was silly, and a lot of other people said those people are just drunk. He stood up and gave a defense of it. Pentecost radically changes this person. When you experience, when you experience the Holy Spirit for yourself, you are wrecked. You can never, ever deny him again. No matter how, no matter how exotic, no matter how, no matter how odd, no matter how different, you know. And there's a lot of people that have a lot of different stories. But no matter how, no matter how subtle or soft or or absolutely extravagant your encounter with the Spirit, your experience with Him, when it is genuine, you it, you you will have to deny yourself to deny Him. 
Peter stands up and says, no, no, no. Men of Judah and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. Listen up. He said, verse 15, for these men are not drunk. They might appear to be very, very happy and under the influence of something, but it's not wine. They are under the influence. You know what? Go ahead now. I know that a lot of times some, some folks abuse that passage and just to encourage people to be silly for the sake of silliness in a meeting, but you, you cannot overlook the fact that the, whatever was happening with those people under the influence of the Spirit, it was enough that some thought, you know, I think they've been drinking. It's true. Peter says they're not drunk. It's only, it's only, the third, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but this is that. Verse 16, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, says God. First of all, what does Pentecost mean? It means we're in the last days. It means they already started. Hey, are we in the last days? Apparently. <laughs> Apparently we have been. And in the last days, God says, I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall, shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. You know, now listen, time out just a minute. Do you ever get tired of people being clumsy with the Bible? I do. That is not, that is not a bumper sticker statement. People say, oh, young men have visions because they're young and they envision the future, and old men, they're sleepy and dream. <laughs> That's the, that is a, as, as funny as that might be, it's a perversion. What Joel is trying to say is that there is no more, there is no difference between male or female, young or old, that everybody is a candidate for the outpouring of the Spirit, and everybody who receives Him is a candidate to experience Him miraculously, visions and dreams. You will become an instrument of the Spirit, the canvas of your mind, the mechanism of your mouth, the, the, your soul, your heart, your life will become an instrument of the Spirit. You are... in. Under Pentecost, every believer is a prophet. The prophethood of the believer. You have become the instrument of the Spirit. His mouthpiece to a dark world. People say, and I know our friends, maybe our friends at Bethel coined there's no junior Holy Spirit. I don't know if they coined that or not, but it's good. It's true. But that, that's what he's saying here. There's no, there's no demographic, no sexist, ageist uh, uh, part of the Spirit. This should challenge some of our doctrinal assumptions about some things. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And daughters. Sons and daughters. Now, listen, unfortunately, sometimes the daughters get ahead and they, the fellers sit back. They don't have to do that just because gals have an intuition or a feeling or whatever. Hey, boys, wake up. Prophesy. All right. Aaron's going to shout me down. That's fine. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, the, 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 those, the, the, in, this, in this case, the lower class or the socioeconomically deprived or whatever, everybody, here it is, I will pour out my spirit. In those days, I will pour out of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. They shall prophesy. Say it with me. If you connect this, Peter's, if, you, if you let Peter interpret what happened, Peter is interpreting the events of the upper room. Too many times people disconnect this as like somehow chapter 2 or something, no? no or, you know, like the next thing. What was happening in the book of Acts in the, in chapter two, in, uh, in the upper room? What were they doing? 
Come on. They, were, they are all filled with the Spirit, and they were all... Now, you don't, don't get quiet on me now. They were, all, they were all speaking in tongues as the Spirit enabled them, and Peter interprets that by saying that this is what the prophet meant when he said they, they will all... Not bad. Thank you, Chris, for helping me. He's a good sound man. Not many sound men help you preach and sing along with everything. He is the, he is the least grumpy sound guy, least disconnected. He's absolutely 100% in. Sometimes I go back there just to listen to him sing with his brother. It's good. All right, so let's try it again. What's happening in the upper room? They're all... And when Peter interprets that, he said this is what the prophet meant when he said they will all... So how does Peter, in, a, in the broadest umbrella, how does he define what's happening in the upper room? He's defining it as prophecy. Now, I know you're going to say, ah, wait a minute, Paul said, don't, tongues prophecy different. Yes, he, and he was breaking it down specifically. He also talked about wisdom and knowledge. He broke down all kinds of vocal gifts into specific uses and specific applications and speaking in your known language and speaking in an unknown language and who's edified when. But all, all spirit-inspired speech is under the broad umbrella of prophecy. These people are prophesying. You are declaring the the nature, the will, the word of God by the Spirit. Don't hold it back. Don't save it for a special service. Let it out. This is the purpose. In the last days, this is my plan, God said. This is His plan, His Spirit on you, changing the earth. But it starts by you speaking by the Spirit. Nothing happens until somebody says something. Pentecost means something. It means that the Spirit is poured out on everyone, and it means that all God's people have something to say. Pentecost means all people receive the Spirit, and it means that all God's people have something to say. We'll go faster now. I know it's 713. I told you it was going to be short. I was mistaken. Oh, thank you. Look at verse 23. Well, 22, as Peter is talking, he says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men. He had literally put the blame on the crowd in front of him for the work of other godless men. Seven or eight of them nailed him there, but he said, y'all did that. Now, was he speaking literally or sort of quasi-metaphorically? I'd say yes. Because it was their sin that put him there. You nailed him to the cross. Okay, you did it. And the cross made by the, by the hands of... And put him to death. But verse 24... But God raised him up again. This is important. What does Pentecost mean? Uh, But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Look at verse 32. He picks up this again now. This Jesus, God raised up again. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. God raised him up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth 
this which you both see and hear. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Pentecost means that Jesus is alive. Pentecost means Jesus was crucified, but he is alive. He is risen from the dead, and he is exalted to the right hand of the Father. Pentecost, the activity of Pentecost, Peter says, because of what you see and hear, this activity, this pneumatological phenomenon, the, this, this prophetic expression in the community, this unhindered flow of the Spirit in the community is evidence that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. So much for Pentecostals just being those weird experiencey guys that like to do church a certain way. The unhindered, the raw expression of the Spirit in the community is God's evidence that Jesus has ascended to the hand of the Father and has poured something out. And it's that activity that we're able to say, therefore, because of what you're experiencing, know for certain He's made Jesus Lord in Christ. Pentecost is proof that Jesus is Lord. And when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. The message of Pentecost is still repent. You will be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off and, pardon me, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Pentecost means this promise is for everyone. It's for everyone the Lord calls. In verse 41, we've already emphasized this, but here it is. So then those who had received the word were baptized, and that day there were added. That day. Someone say that day. This is not a Genesis day. (laughs) For those creation arguers. Maybe it was, okay, this is not a day that could perceivably be arguably much longer than a regular day. Okay? This is the day. That day. That day, the day the Holy Ghost came, the day Peter started talking about it, that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Pentecost, unrestrained, diligently applied, carefully explained, this is what it means. Pentecost, unrestrained, applied and explained, equals souls. Souls. Which is one of the reasons, especially at Heritage, I mean, we try, we try to make sure that no matter what's going on, we try to take a a brief moment and say, this is what we believe is happening. We never apologize for it. Because Pentecost is a a perfect God moving and using imperfect people. And that's just the way it is. He's not using robots. He's using imperfect people, flawed vessels. A perfect, flawless spirit moves and ministers through flawed vessels. Keeps us humble and happy and holy. And so we listen carefully and we respond and we challenge people. We challenge people. How will they respond? But Pentecost can't be, we can't put a, we can't, we cannot, we cannot be, we cannot put a seatbelt on the Spirit. 
I know you think, some of you might think, where in the world would you get a phrase like that from popular Christian leadership? It's a phrase people are using to, just, to encourage people to uh, uh, have a certain culture in their churches. Really, it's just church on Red Bull. Just a church with a little bit more clapping, a little bit more enthusiasm, a few more lights, and a little bit more Red Bull. It's church on our, our best terms and our, at, with our best efforts, hoping for just a little bit of, honestly, hoping for just enough goosebumps that people feel like they've been somewhere. But this isn't goosebumps. This is heaven on earth. And it's going to feel different because it is. It's going to feel different to the flesh, to the carnality, to the system of the world. It's going to seem strange. And it should. If it's not, we're doing something wrong. Because we are not representing warmed up, canned world. Can I have a can of world, please? Yes. A very special can of world. Here's more of the same. More of what you're used to. Please like us. They were continually devoting, verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. How many of you right now are thinking, my God, he's going to go through every verse in Acts? (laughs) But no. (laughs) By myself, me and Dr. Zeph, just chapters 18. Uh, uh, Yeah. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Now before you interpret that as saying, aha, see, it's only the apostles. This is still early and the concentric circle, the the democratization of the miraculous had not occurred yet. But within a few chapters, the, the operations, those operating in the miraculous, the, those circles of democratization spread out till we, don't, till we don't even know the people's names anymore. But at this point, it's still very early, and it's still the leadership ministry, which is normal for that to be passed on, but that's how it's supposed to happen. So here we are, Acts 2. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They chose this. And I don't care what, how you vote, but this is not Bernie Sanders. Don't, don't get all upset and stomp out because you think I'm a I'm thing. I'm saying that particular political philosophy is godless. Now, don't get all upset and think, what, what, did he just get political? No, I got theological. When people, when people want, to sur- want to the state to take, take power from people, that's godless. That's the beast. That's the beast. We spend a while in Revelation. That's the beast. I'm not saying Bernie's the beast. Simmer down. <laughs> Why, you hear him say that? <laughs> Wilma, I think he said. <laughs> no, he did not. Younger, are we live on the thing? Man, I hope somebody says, I knew it. Someone's going to say, yes, Bernie's the beast.
And all those who believed had all things in common. They shared all things. They did this on purpose out of their own, uh, their own, uh, their own free will at the time, specifically because it was necessary because they were all living together. See, remember we, we talk about, uh, Lauren, we talk about the cost of revival. It's not, it's not more holiness on our part or us earning something. It's the cost is our response to revival. And for them, the Holy Spirit's poured out, and they are, they are absolutely overwhelmed. Heaven moves in, and they don't leave. The, a lot of these people were still were visiting from elsewhere, but they, we're talking about 3,000 of them that were visiting from out of town still, some of them, and they didn't leave. They, they, what was happening was too sacred to go. So what's the solution? Well, I got some extra beans. And so in, honor, in order to honor the sacredness, the glory of what was happening, they made material compromises in order to facilitate revival. They chose that. And they began selling property and possessions and sharing them with all as any of might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. This is what Pentecost means. Well, we're not that quite done yet. Praising God, verse 47, and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Pentecost means a vibrant church expressing Christ in love, in unity, in generosity, in power, and in compassion. In chapter 3. In chapter 3, Pentecost means that the lame walk. In chapter 4, Pentecost means that the church is persecuted but keeps praying. In chapter 5, the church, Pentecost means that the church walks in both reverence and growth. In chapter 5, the church grows even though people die for lying in church. In chapter 6, Pentecost means raising new anointed servant leaders and empowering them. In chapter 8, the Pentecost means that the gospel crosses prejudicial barriers with power. In chapter 9, Pentecost means that the most unlikely can be drafted to become the most powerful. Yeah, someone say, he's talking about Paul. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Chapter 10, over and again, we see that the Holy Spirit is the same. In chapter 10, as Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening in the same way he fell at the beginning. By chapter 10, we see he's the same Holy Ghost, Jew or Gentile. Same Holy Ghost, same expression. Even the Jews, the fellow Jews, the circumcised guys said, well, these, pardon me for being indelicate, he said, they ain't circumcised, but they received the Spirit the same way we did, and so we have no argument that that was the chief indicator that they had been brought into, into the kingdom, was that they were expressing the Spirit. In chapter 12, Pentecost means that the church is, is, a pray, is still a praying church, and they stretched, and they, 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 they prayed stretched outedly 
they prayed fervently for Peter, and an angel came and released him. By the way, I should say, through all of these chapters, Pentecost means that angels are among us and working for our good. Chapters 13 through 18. See, I told you, go faster, faster. Chapter 13 through 18, Pentecost means missions and turning the world upside down, one city at a time. In chapter 19, Pentecost means that in any city, long-term revival changes the spiritual and economic and cultural landscape of a city and a region. Chapters 21 through 27, Pentecost means we may face persecution and accusation, but in all of it, God is with us. And in chapter 28, Pentecost, well, the story is unfinished. And in 2019, Pentecost means the same spirit is here. The same power is at work. The same spirit, the same power, the same need, the same opportunity. We can and must be being filled. Because Pentecost means more. More than we have done. More than we have been. More than we have experienced. Pentecost means there is more. Does anybody have an amen?